So do me a favor, track down a Bible if you can, and get with me to Psalm 87. Psalm 87. And I'm going to spend some time now opening the word together with you and hopefully allowing the spirit of God to be shaping the way that we're even feeling right now about this new chapter in the life of our church. Psalm 87 reads like this, of the sons of Korah, a psalm, a song. He has founded his city on the holy mountain. The Lord loves the gates of Zion more than all the other dwellings of Jacob. Glorious things are said of you, city of God. I will record Rahab and Babylon among those who acknowledge me. Philistia too, and Tyre, along with Cush. I will say this one was born in Zion. Indeed of Zion it will be said, this one and that one were born in her. And the Most High himself will establish her. The Lord will write in the register of the peoples, this one was born in Zion. As they make music, they will sing, all my fountains are in you. Let's pray. Lord, we ask right now as we open your word that you, Lord, would speak. That by your spirit right now, you would take these words on our pages and you would bring them to life. That we would hear your voice loud and clear. And that you would help us to think through the church, the beauty of the church, the city of God. And then help us, Lord, consider our involvement in her. And so, Lord, we commit this time to you. We ask that you would bless it, please, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Let's look at the joy of the city in verses 1 to 3 and the joy of its citizens in verses 4 to 7. The joy of the city uh, comes in the form of a song. Look at the heading. This is of the sons of Korah, that musical instrumental group, a psalm, a song. This is liturgy. This is meant to be sung. This is, the, uh, this is a worship document. This is for the people of God to be able to gather together and express their joy in what God is doing. We need to sing about these things. Christianity is a singing religion. So the joy of the city is that it is a place founded by God himself. Look at verse 1. He, God, has founded his city on the holy mountain. So we're talking about this reality, and you might think, well, you know, this was, uh, maybe they're thinking about Jerusalem. And maybe this, was a, maybe this was something that they would sing on one of their annual trips to the holy city, to Jerusalem. They would go there, they would have a festivity, they would do all these different things. Maybe they would sing this song as a part of that experience. But as you'll notice very quickly, this isn't just talking about Jerusalem. We get into the territory of the heavenly realm very quickly. This is more than geography. This is God's reality. His city, he has founded, and it is on his holy mountain. It reminds me of the time when Moses was standing there and he's speaking to, God is speaking to him from a burning bush and God says, take off your shoes, you're standing on holy ground. Potentially the future site of Mount Sinai, the place where God would arrive and establish his people. The mountain of God, the place where God said, do not come near the mountain and do not touch it. Why is that? Because God is there. It's a place where his presence is manifest and shows up in such dramatic power that people recognize it, obviously. And and here we find it. He, God, has founded his city on this holy mountain. 
When we think about this community of faith and God's presence within her, we're talking about this incredible reality, the city of God, the place called Zion. God has founded it. It's his favorite location. Verse 2, the Lord loves the gates of Zion more than all the other dwellings of Jacob. He, Jacob is shorthand for, for the Israelites, for the people of God, and he gifted them a land and, and even some of their homes, he gifted it to them. But the Bible tells us here, God loves his city more than all the dwellings in Jacob. This is a place where God has set his affection. He loves his church. There's a sentiment that's been going on for a long, long time, but it's a sentiment in Christianity where a lot of people think, I like Christ, I like Christianity, I'm not sure I like the church. And this reminds us that that is not the right posture to take in regard to God's bride. God loves her. We need to be a community of people who, I'm not saying that the church is above critique, but we need to be the kind of people who our knee-jerk reaction when we talk about the church is, we adore her. We love her. We believe in her because the Lord himself loves her. The Lord loves her, therefore we love her. So when you think about the church, one of the, one of the things I'll be calling you to if you want to be a part of this next chapter is, will you affirm your love for the local church? Will you be willing to say, yes, we'll, have, we'll make mistakes, we'll have some fault lines, we'll have some stuff that we're dealing with, we'll, we'll, we'll have issues within our community of faith, but our main primary posture toward the local church is we love her. God loves his favorite location, the gates of Zion. Glorious things are said of you, city of God. Glorious things. We, we want to recognize that this community of faith, the city of God is glorious. I was thinking about it like this. I hope that after church, you go home on a Sunday afternoon and you cannot help but continue that posture of worship. You would just be thinking through, what I just experienced today was glorious. What I just went to today, what I just watched online today was glorious. And, and it's not, we're not saying glory in the same way like you go to a concert or you go to a sporting event, or you go to something, and everything was so well done that you're like, that was beautiful. Like, that, that was awesome. I just watched what happened on stage. No, I'm saying there's a glory about the church that happens in the conversations after church ends. We get up from our chairs, and we're lingering, and we're chit-chatting with each other, and what does God do? He shows up. Needs are made known, and people gather around. They say, well, let's pray about that right now. You've got an issue that you're facing as a family. Well, we as your community of faith are coming around you and we're supporting you in prayer. And I want you to walk away from that and go, that was glorious. Those ordinary conversations turned into heavenly realities. That was glory. Walk away from here not thinking, well, the band did a killer job or Corey's sermon was okay. But you walk away from here and you go, I gathered with the people of God and the presence of the Holy Spirit was there. That's glory. Glorious things are said of you, city of God. I hope that you will have that posture of appreciation for God's community of faith. Well, secondly, the joy of its citizens in verses 4 to 7. We have joy because of the acknowledgement of the nations. This is really incredible, but the church has a mission. It, it, the church actually is the vehicle of God's mission to make known the glory of its Savior. So we take joy because the nations acknowledge him. 
Look at verse 4. I will record Rahab and Babylon among those who acknowledge me. Philistia too, and Tyre, along with Cush. All these different foreign entities, they acknowledge God. And so we're joyful then. If God is able to draw people from every tribe, tongue, people, and nation into collective worship of him, we join in that worship. We have a mission. And that mission is to make known Jesus Christ to the very ends of the earth. And therefore, we celebrate our identity. The city of God gets to communicate the truth of who God is and invite other people into that reality. So I was thinking about how that works ordinarily. And I think ordinarily, the way that other people come to saving faith is through the citizens of the city. So believers go out into the world as delegates, as representatives, and they make known the glory of God. In fact, in the famous Sermon on the Mount that the Lord himself gave, he described it like this. In Matthew 5, verses 14 and 16, he's talking to his followers and he says, you are the light of the world. A town, that's the, that's the new NIV version, but the, the older and other versions say a city built on a hill. That was another name I put in there, city on a hill. We didn't pick it. <laughs> a city on a hill cannot be hidden. You are this place where the light of God is shining forth. You're like this city, this town that's up on a hill and is giving light to all the surrounding communities. And he says in verse 15, neither do people hide... Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on a stand. And it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. So, one of the ways that other people come to saving faith is through you. There's a big emphasis of our campus. It always has been. We want to be a church on mission. We want other people to know our Savior. And one of the ways that that happens is you go out in His name And you live in a certain kind of way, a beautiful and attractive way, so that people see your good deeds and they glorify the Father in heaven. Another verse that gets this quite well is uh, in Peter's letter. He was there for that Sermon on the Mount, and so when he writes a letter to all the churches that are scattered and being persecuted, he said, you guys are aliens and strangers, you're sojourners, you're, you're a part of this new city of God, but you're scattered all over the place and you're living in hostile territories. But as such, here's what you need to do. This is 1 Peter 2, 12. Live such good lives among the unbelievers that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits. You as a resident of the city of God, as an alien and stranger here, you go out into the world and you live in a beautiful way so that other people see your good deeds and they glorify God. How do other people become members of the citizenship of heaven? How do people join that citizenship? It's through you and I going out into the world and living beautifully for for Christ's sake. Last night we were hanging with my neighbors and I was thinking about this I love the crew that God has kind of placed Ash and I uh, down in. We live in a neighborhood, and we're surrounded by other young families, and we hang out all the time. And we got home from hanging out with them last night, and I was just thinking and praying, and I was thinking along these lines, Lord, help us to be good representatives of you. Help us to live so beautifully that this whole corner of our neighborhood has something of an experience of you. Not for our sake, not because we're great at doing this, but for your own sake, God. 
do something in us. Let our lives, our good deeds glorify you. And I pray that for you guys too. I, I think about the fact that most of our lives are lived away from here. You get one hour a week to gather with the people of God, but then you scatter and you go out and you, let's say you work a full-time job and you're 40 plus hours in, in the workforce and you're with different people on account of your job. That's where the mission is. Or you, you're, you stay at home and you got a mission then to your family but, or your community there. But, but I want to continue to pray that God will use you to bring other people into this citizenship of the city of God. That your life will be beautiful and attractive and other people then will be magnetized to your Savior. So let's be that kind of people. But look at what the text actually says. I, I didn't find this until last night. And so this was a late edition. But this psalm isn't mainly concerned about how we live. This psalm is mainly concerned about what God does. Look, more people will join this city because of what God is doing. So yes, we have a responsibility, and yes, I'm going to continue to push you in that direction of living on mission, but listen to why we should be so joyful. God will add people to this city. Verse 6, the Lord will write in the register of the peoples, this one was born in Zion. Wait, who, who are we talking about? Who are the people, the, the, this one that, that is going to be added to the registers? Well, it's actually from verse 4. This is God saying what he's going to do. I will record Rahab and Babylon among those who acknowledge me. Philistia too, and Tyre along with Cush. We hear all those names and we're like, okay, I don't even know who we're talking about. But these are all enemies of the people of God. Troublemakers for the Israelites. And God is saying, I will take your enemies and make, you, make them family. I will take all these people that you look at sideways and you think, man, these guys are bad guys, and I'm going to record their names in my register. They're going to be members of this society. This is the, the good news of the gospel. What God can do is he can take people who are far away from him, and they come to a place where they acknowledge him. In verse 4, it says, they will be among those who acknowledge me or who know me. These people are going to hear about the city of God and then they're going to know God. They're going to acknowledge him. They're going to have the saving relationship with him. And their names then will be recorded in his book. This is a part of what it means to be the church. There are going to be people in here who the only similarity that you have with them is that their name is also in the book. But other than that, you might look at them and go, normally, naturally, they would be my enemy. They vote different than me. They think different than me. Their worldview is different than me. But on account of Jesus Christ and what he's done, we now live together in a family. We're now members of the same society. Our citizenship is shared. And therefore, we rejoice. God takes my enemies and he brings them in-house. Now, I hope you're okay with that. I understand if you're not. But that's what God does. That's what the gospel does. It brings people together and it creates a place not of hostility but peace that's what god is doing he's saying i will write in the registers of the peoples this one was born in zion well technically no where were they born born egypt philistia tyre cush they were born in other places but god says here's something catch this they are spiritually born again they are born in my city 
I've made them new. They are a new creation and they belong to me and now their name is documented in my book of life. Therefore, we should have joy as citizens of the city. We should rejoice along with God and all the angels in heaven around the throne and the lamb recognizing we get to do this thing together. That on account of Jesus Christ and his death, burial, and resurrection, we join together in the worship of the lamb. And as Revelation tells us, all the kings of the earth bring in their plunder. They bring in their, their gifts to him and worship him. People from different cultures, people from different communities, people from different, the different sides of town, we all come together in this new community of faith, and therefore we should have great joy. Well, we take joy also because this is an establishment that God is doing. Look at verse 5. Indeed, of Zion it will be said, this one and that one were born in her, and the Most High himself will, will establish her. So we take joy because the work of building this thing isn't just on us. I mean, we've got responsibilities and things we need to get done, but at the end of the day, God is doing this. He himself will establish her. It reminds me of what the Lord said when he was talking to Peter. He said, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against her. God is saying, this is my doing. You can, you can rest easy because I will establish this thing, which gives me great confidence because I've been working very, very hard doing articles of incorporation and bylaws and different, building a website and all these different things. And there's a part of me, especially with those articles and bylaws, I'm thinking these are founding documents. These are things on which the, the future of our church will, you know, they're charter documents. They'll govern how we operate as a church and there's this weight to it. But then I'm reminded this week, I will establish her. The Lord himself will establish his city. He's building his church so we can have great confidence. We can live in this time with great confidence in what God is doing. The writer to the Hebrews picks up this idea and he illustrates it with the life of Abraham. Abraham was called by God and was called to set out and to go to this new city and to go to this new location. And he, by faith, set out and did that. But then in Hebrews, it tells us he never really received the fullness of it. In fact, he lived in a tent as a sojourner. He was a, an alien and a stranger, but he lived that way happily. And it tells us why in Hebrews 11, verse 10, and we'll put it up on the screen. The reason why he was able to do that was because he was looking forward to the city with foundations whose architect and builder is God. We can have great confidence as we go through this next season of life together as a church. And we can say, look, we might be a portable church for a bit. We, it's crazy to think that in five years we've met in five different locations. Well, that, that might continue. But we can have confidence that we're looking toward this city that is firm, whose architect and builder is God. Everything else can be shaken up in this world, but if we're the city of God, we're on firm on firm ground. And so we can worship and we can take joy because God is building this thing. He is the founder of it in verse 1, and he is the establisher of her in verse 5. We take joy because the source of our confidence is in him and in his city. Look at verse 7. As they make music, they will sing, all my fountains are in you. The people of God, the residents of the city, 
They sing about it. They lift up their voices. They acknowledge the goodness of God. They, they make known the glory of God with music and singing. We want to do that as well. In just a moment, the band will come back up and we'll sing together, but we want to lift our voices, acknowledging the beauty of what God is doing, recognizing that the source of our joy is the city itself and its maker. There's a, there's a fountain here. All of our fountains of joy, all the, the, the wellspring of where this thing is coming from is God himself and his city. Psalm 46, verses 4 and 5, there is a river whose streams make glad the city of God, the holy place where the Most High dwells. God is within her, and she will not fall. God will help her at the break of day. As we become an independent, autonomous church, we can take great confidence in God's ability to provide. Our source of joy is in God himself, and all of our fountains are there. So in the words of John Newton, as the band comes, John Newton wrote it like this. He said, Who can faint while such a river ever flows their thirst to assuage? Grace, which like the Lord the giver, never fails from age to age. God will provide for us. So we should sing. If you would, please stand with me. I'll pray. And we'll step into a, a time of worship. Lord, we pray right now with grateful hearts and the realities of what we've been talking about today, that you are creating a heavenly colony and that we get to be a part of it is pure joy. Help, help us, Lord, to do a good job of honoring you. Help us, God, to do a good job of being a local church and helping other people come to know our Savior. Let us live beautiful lives so that people would glorify you. Let us take joy in this city that you are building. Amen. <laughs>